Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Podcast Network, SoCal Sweat. My name is Ann McDaniels, a former NFL cheerleader and product manager turned actress and model who dreams of being a UFC fighter. Yow. Learning strategies to help motivate others leads me to bring you interviews each week from a range of athletes, experts in fitness and nutrition, and so much more. Thanks for listening to Believe, the number one podcast for working professionals, and let's push our endorphins to higher performance through SoCal Sweat. This is your host, Ann McDaniels, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of SoCal Sweat. Today, I'm going to be talking about the 1950s. What a fun era. And in fact, it was called the Boom Era, or America's Golden Age. In the 1950s, many historians used the word boom because of the prosperous economy. The increasing number of people moving to the suburbs and the population explosion was known as the baby boom. The 1950s was actually after the 1930s of the Great Depression, the War of the 1940s, and it was nestled there between the next decades of the 1960s and 70s, which which had a lot of strife and malaise. So the 1950s was, indeed, fabulous. America's Golden Age. So many things can be learned via the fashions, diets, clothing trends, movies of the 1950s. So in this episode, I'd love to break down the food, fitness, diet, and dating trends of the 1950s. And boy, did I learn some things and they're hilarious. I'm so glad that they do not occur today, although some are actually really good learning. Well, first of all, I just want to talk about the fitness. I found this really interesting and in the 1930s, bodybuilder Jack LaLanne started turning bodies into unbelievable specimens. He was actually a bodybuilder, and he did use anabolic steroids, which surprised me because I didn't think that that was popular then, but there were several bodybuilders that came into play at that time. It was way before their time, and I did read that they only trained three days a week versus bodybuilders or fitness competitors of today that literally train seven days a week or at least five to six. So they would just become really regimented on their three days and then they would take rest days off with lots of recovery. And they looked fantastic on a very steady and strict diet in addition to the use of steroids. Although I don't know if all of them were, but Jacqueline in fact was. The gym equipment was not very advanced at that time. So bodybuilders and fitness competitors would always do dumbbell curls and just kind of some of the basics. But cross-training was considered to be a popular form of bodybuilding. Top bodybuilders of that time used to cross-train each other by showing off their bodybuilding skills by performing a variety of hardcore exercises and workouts. They used to compete with each other in wrestling and gave valuable tips to strengthen their stamina and gain health. So they just became very efficient. And as weights continued to progress, it got better and better, but they really did quite a bit with what they had at that time. And I was also surprised that, pleasantly surprised that Marilyn Monroe did lift weights. I did read that when she woke up in the morning, she would actually get on her back on the side of the bed and she would take five pound dumbbells and she would basically be doing what we would consider right now to be flies. 
So basically what she was doing was toning her bust line, which made her very, very famous. Um, so she could wear those popular brassiers. It's not bras, it's a brassiere. And speaking of Marilyn Monroe, many housewives and women and girls strived to be like Marilyn Monroe with a small waist, a large bust line, and a large backside. That's what they strive for. And you look at today in 2021, what do we strive for? The same thing. People are getting plastic surgery for it all the time, left and right, increasing their Instagram with their filters and adding volume on both of those ends. So it's quite interesting that we have sort of a similar situation from that era to today. Everyone was so much more active in the 1950s. Once a man went to work, a woman would do constant house cleaning. So that certainly burned a lot of calories. Also, without a car, or maybe they did have a car, usually they walked. They walked their kids to and from school. They always walked to the market, to the library, to church. So they were gaining a lot of physical activity. In addition to that, they probably were doing Jack Lane's 50s workouts with the high kicks, the side kicks, and the um, train-like effects with the arms. Jack Lane started a fitness show in the 1950s, and he encouraged women to look great and feel great, and always with a smile on their face. And I looked up one of the shows, and he has some really interesting moves, although I think there, it's almost more Pilates driven. Um, it was a lot of standing next to a chair and doing kicks, high kicks, kind of Pilates moves, as if you will, as far as like rotation circles of the legs. And in one certain case, he needs us to act like a train. And he makes all the sounds like choo-choo. And he makes you do arm circles like you're chugging a train in fast motion, slow motion, and then doing it with your legs and then getting on your back and going high into the air, doing the bicycle. Just lots of toning exercises, and he's always telling women to get rid of that flab of the back of the arms and on the, on the front of the arms and on the thighs. And ladies, you need to trim that waist. He also has a neck slimming and um, just overall decolletage toning exercise. And always we have to be working on that bust. Oh boy, ladies, a slim figure, with a giant bust is the coveted way to your charm. That was considered charm, ladies. If you had a giant bust with uh, toned pictorial muscles, that was your charm. It had nothing to do with intelligence, personality, your goals, accomplishments. It was your bust. But really, all of these things created a lot of tone and burned calories, and also the portions were so much smaller. So that made a huge difference. And I can't wait to go over some of the, the, the diets and what they ate. But two top trends for the fad diets of the 1950s were the actual cabbage diet, where it was a soup consisting of cabbage. I'm sure most of you have heard about it. Um, it's, it's been in effect basically since the 1950s. It's a soup full of cabbage and many vegetables, and cabbage actually breaks down in the body to burn a lot of calories and it incinerates that metabolism. So cabbage is often used for that purpose. But it was said that if you eat this cabbage soup diet or cabbage soup every single day, that you lose up to 10 to 15 pounds per week. Well, that is not safe nor healthy, so not recommended. And if you're losing 10 to 15 pounds per week, you need to watch it and probably go to a doctor and see if there's something wrong. <laughs> 
The other fitness trend was the vibrating slimming belt. Oh yes, this is a real thing. Women and men would wrap it around their backs, their legs, their thighs, anything on their body, and it would shake them. Shake them like crazy. And I'm sure you've seen these things in the mall where you stand on an apparatus and your feet are on this vibrating machine and it's, it's said to sort of like, you know, move the fat around so it's in other places or shake off that fat. But as we all know, it is a deficit and surplus of calories and exercise that melts away that fat. If the vibrating slimming machine or belt actually worked, we wouldn't have the fitness industry and diet industry that we do today. However, it's a good concept, you know, on paper. But the vibrating slimming belt and the cabbage soup diet. There you go, right there. Easy fix. (laughs) As we know, that's not true. Other great forms of fitness at that time would be the popular hula hoop workout, roller skating, football, and of course, cheerleading. And the dance. There were great dances that you may have seen in the movie Grease. Dances like the Jitterbug or Swing, Lindy Hop, the Rock and Roll, Boogie Woogie or Bop. The word Bop was new then, so almost everything was called the Bop. But that word usually referred to a family of low, swiveling, Charleston-like steps danced in place and sometimes without a partner. I was pleasantly surprised to learn that women would sometimes enter the weight rooms at gyms even though the gym equipment was not so up to par or standard like it is today. And I did also learn that women would wear large socks or bobby socks with sandals, high-waisted shorts, and a sweater to work out. So if you drop a weight on your foot that may have been such not an ergonomical way of doing things and that may not be allowed in the gym today. Now moving on to the typical diet of the 1950s. Here was the meal plan. If you weren't partaking in the cabbage soup diet 24-7, you may eat normal meals, and this is what it consisted of at that point. Breakfast would be a serving of fruit, two eggs, toast, bacon, coffee, and milk. Lunch would be salad and a small piece of meat, and they boiled their meat. Dinner would be a large piece of meat, again boiled, potatoes, vegetables, beans, milk, and always dessert, a fruit pie or slice of cake. Every night was dessert. Actually sounds fabulous. I did learn that Marilyn Monroe loved hot fudge sundaes, and she would try to get herself one every night after acting class. But she did those flies, and she actually, this was another fun fact that I learned, part of her diet plan, because I did realize that she struggled with weight up and down, so she always added a lot of protein to her diet. So she was very forward-thinking on that. She would actually, when she would get in the shower in the morning, she would be boiling milk. So by the time she got out of the shower, it would be hot milk. And then she would crack two eggs in said milk, blend it up, and drink it. I think she would do this several times a day, and she always brought this stuff to her on set, which is quite impressive at that point, because a lot of us do bring things to set, but not usually like a broiler or a, a double broiler or anything like that um, on the set. It's usually, you know, our own packed lunch, but that was that was impressive to me that she did realize that this is what she needed to do for her weight control, and um, it kept her satiated with the protein. So boiling of milk, cracking two eggs, blending that up and drinking it. Doesn't sound that appealing, but 
hey, Marilyn Monroe did it. We could learn a fact from her. Another thing about the meals. Plates went from six inches in the 1950s to 10 inches today. So it's much bigger portions, including the plate size. And studies have shown when you eat on a smaller plate, you do tend to eat less. And on a larger plate, we tend to eat more and then want seconds. And a lot of studies have been done to prove it. Now on to some of the foods of the fabulous golden age of the 1950s. Food presentation was huge for dinner parties. So I'm gonna give you some of the top presentation foods and then sort of tell you other foods that we may have today and you may have never heard of and you may never wanna hear of again nor ever dream of, of trying. So a couple of things. Jello. Jello was actually invented in the 1950s. So there were jello molds everywhere. And I am talking green gelatin and red gelatin. And these weren't just jello like you see today, like jello jigglers or, you know, what we what we drink at frat parties. These were jello molds full of vegetables, fruit, tuna, chili, fish, shape of fish. I'm telling you, it would be a big jello and then in the middle would be like I said, chili. And then on top would be Ritz crackers with cheese whiz. It's just crazy. So there was, I look at this, I look at this and I'm just like, wow, I guess it would be sort of a sweet and savory. And really the presentations are absolutely beautiful, but I don't really understand how that would be you know, appetizing whatsoever. I mean, it's just, if you Google image the pictures, it's just, it's amazing. It's a wonder, it's a, it's a wondrous. And on the word wonder, the next one is vitamin bread, which later became wonder bread. Vitamin bread was actually full of vitamins. They would add this artificially and you would get, be getting eight different types of vitamins. This later became wonder bread. And this was heavily advertised by then Superman and Howdy Doody. So they would always be advertising it to kids and now we use multivitamins and Wonder Bread is still around today, but certainly not, not as popular. And I wouldn't recommend Wonder Bread to get your daily dose of vitamins. So the next one, frosted ribbon loaf. Oh yes, this is ham, eggs, tomato, all placed together in a casserole with cake frosting. Again, ham, eggs, tomato, built in a loaf with cake frosting. And again, that would satisfy that sweet and salty taste that we all love. The next one is bologna cake. This is a beautiful cake made of bologna, cream cheese, onions, Worcestershire sauce, crackers, and tons of spray canned cheese for decorative elements. Oh yes, this is real. And finally, the green bean pizzerino. This is a giant ring of meatloaf. Salami slices, American cheese, cooked green beans placed in the center, and several ways of decorating the plate. Again, perhaps with spray cheese, the green bean pizzerino. And it's also full of ketchup and artificial pizza flavoring. So, you know, I'm glad at that point that people presented and ate these at dinner parties and loved it. And boy, can we look at it today and admire how far we've come. There were also many, many lessons to housewives on how to make a sandwich, how to make a proper sandwich for your husband. However, in their defense, 
we still have many YouTube videos, Instagram and TikTok on how to make a sandwich today. So no offense to them. Some other notable dishes, and many have, probably many of you have heard of, and a lot of these are still popular, but chicken a la king, chicken tetrazzini, chiffon cake, banana split from the soda fountains, artichoke dip, well, who doesn't love artichoke dip even today? Skirt steak, this was huge, and again, it's usually boiled, but after World War II, American families could finally get access to the meat. With the advent of outdoor grilling, steaks became a hot item that obviously continued to define where we are today. Chicken and dumplings, creamed, chipped beef on toast. And this would be also the nickname SOS, or shit on a shingle because the military, when they were at war, would be eating this. And again, creamed, chipped beef on toast. Shit on a shingles, folks, SOS. Deviled ham, dinty more beef stew, green bean casserole, and again, jello. And another way to eat this would be with iceberg salad in the middle, among many fruits and vegetables, tinned canned tuna, Cheese, fish, mayo, sweet versions with fruit cocktail, marshmallows, and cream. So again, back to that Jello salad, the wondrous Jello, again invented in the 50s. Chicken pot pie, dindy more beef stew, tuna nota casserole, hard times cream tuna on toast. This would be to thaw frozen peas in a colander, melt margarine in a saucepan, add flour and blend. Add the milk, stirring constantly to prevent clumping and stirring until creamy. Add the tuna, peas, salt and pepper, and warm through. As the tuna is warming, you toast the bread. And that is a hard times creamed tuna on toast. Actually, it doesn't sound that bad. Breaded veal cutlets and lamb chop, chops. Cheesecake. Throughout the South, the popularization of country ham, ham hocks, fried chicken, green beans, and cornbread. Delicious. For dessert, the homemade banana cream pie, coconut, pecan, and chocolate pies, and if we can recall that fabulous scene from The Help with the chocolate pie. I think I've watched that probably over 200 times. The best scene in any movie. I love that movie. Chocolate pies. Stuffed celery. If you got stuffed celery, you went to the right party. And why is this? Because only the wealthy and elite had refrigerators. So the more stuff that you could show off that you kept cold, and had in your refrigerator, then you were the Joneses, and no one could keep up with the Joneses. So again, if you have stuffed celery that you serve at your party, chilled, you went to that right party. You went to the elitists. Ambrosia salad. Ambrosia salad came from the Greeks. It's a creamy fruit salad loaded with pineapple, mandarin oranges, coconut, miniature fruit flavored marshmallows, and a little fun fact on why pineapple was used so often, and I'll be mentioning it several times, was that Hawaii became our 50th state in 1959, so the pineapple was everywhere. How about the Hawaiian Supreme and frozen Hawaiian pineapple parfait? Besides Hawaii, Alaska became one of our states in 1959, and we have the baked Alaska, which actually came from France, but it is ice cream and cake surrounded by a brownie meringue, the baked Alaska. Green sherbet mint, again from Jell-O. Creamed tuna again. The snowball, vanilla ice cream, coconut flakes, chocolate syrup, that sounds delicious. The next one is the coveted relish tray. 
which definitely does not compare to our beautiful charcuterie boards that we have today, but full appreciation. That would consist of raw celery, carrots, radishes, and olives in an oval dish of ice. And again, if you have that ice, you have a refrigerator, and you are an elite. We shall definitely not forget the olive loaf. This lunch meat can still usually be found behind the deli case at supermarkets alongside the bologna and roast beef, but it's not nearly as popular today as it was in the 50s. It's made with a similar grind as bologna, that is basically liquefied. However, it's usually made in a loaf pan instead of sausage like bologna is. It's usually heavy, heavily seasoned with garlic, and it's best identified by the pimento stuffed green olives embedded within it. The next one is deviled ham, very, very popular. Deviled is in reference to food that just means spicy or made spicy. But today we only see the term in reference to deviled eggs. In the 1950s, deviled ham was also quite popular, especially in canned form produced by Underwood. It's a spread made of ground ham with seasonings. And if you're a fan, we hope you've realized by now that the homemade stuff is so much better than the canned. And the next one is called milk toast. And just a little fun fact, milk toast seems to be very boring. And to call someone a milk toast or a Casper milk toast during that time would be an insult. What this means is that someone's very timid, unassertive, and spineless. So if someone's really boring and has no backbone, you would have called him a Casper milk toast, which means, well, it's really an insult. Get a backbone. Why don't you earn a set? Get a set of balls. <laughs> and this is based on the recipe milk toast. It's like you're trying to make French toast and got lazy halfway through and just stopped. So basically this is a breakfast dish consisting of toasted bread and warm milk and typically with sugar and butter. Salt, pepper, paprika, cinnamon, cocoa, raisins, and other ingredients can also be added for the savory. In the New England region of the United States, milk toast refers to a toast that has been dipped in milk-based white sauce which basically today is French toast, but if you have milk toast, that means you got lazy halfway through. Come on, you gotta finish the job. Finish the job. That's what she said. Now there are so many other meals that the 1950s family had, but I do wanna mention some of the interesting brands that came through during this time. And I was very surprised. I didn't think that they were around that long. Um, the first is candy, with the candies is peanut M&M's. I thought that was a much newer brand and product, but peanut M&M's were started in the 1950s. In addition to Atomic Fireballs, Surt's Mints, Hot Tamales, Pez Candy, Pixie Sticks, Smarties Candy Necklaces, and Marshmallow Peeps. Also, Dunkin' Donuts, Frosted Flakes, Frozen Pizza, Betty Crocker Cake Mix, Pre-Sliced Cheese, Diet Soda, Basically, Diet Right was the brand. Coronation Chick, I think that's a uh, restaurant in the South. Tropicana, Ranch Dressing, oh, 1950s, can we thank you more? Ranch Dressing has been available since the 1950s and boy do we love it. Oh, what does that, why is it so good? It just, ugh, I put that in everything. Special K, Chex Mix, Del Monte Fruit Cocktail, McDonald's fries started in 1950s. Budweiser, Budweiser beer, king of beers. KFC, never would have thought. Margarine, Coca-Cola, that made sense to me. 
The Burger King Whopper. Oh, that's one of my favorites. I never would have thought. Eggo Waffles. Eggo Waffles definitely started then, and they changed their name several times. Specifically, they had started with the name Froffles. But then they realized, well, these waffles taste like eggs. So let's call them Eggos. So we went from Froffles to Eggos. Lego my Eggo. The Pillsbury Slice and Bake Cookie Dough. The Pillsbury Slice and Bake Dough. Thank you, Pillsbury. Flavored crisps, which meant chips. And they basically came from the UK via a chef in Ireland. Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut was started in the 1950s. And if you take a look at their retro menu, it is so small. You get like a cheese pizza with your choice of a, like two or three toppings. Versus today where if you want to stuff a donut in the crust, they can absolutely do that, no problem whatsoever, and deliver it to your door, put it on your coffee table, and you are good to go. Spam. Spam started in the 1950s. And of course, Jell-O. But I want to mention one very important one for women, and that was the Swanson TV dinner. Swanson, the TV dinners, their marketing was brilliant. They wanted women to have more time with their family and have less time slaving away in the kitchen. Well, many people have argued that the Swanson TV dinner may have stemmed the women's movement and gave women much more freedom. Because if you're not in the kitchen, you can actually get a job. You can actually have some dreams and goals of your own. Not to say that there's anything wrong with the housewife because it's a, that's a full-time job and I totally respect that. I don't mean to be facetious. But thank you, Swanson. Thank you, Swanson. And with that in mind, let us talk about the dating rituals. Oh boy. Some of these are actually great for today and a good reminder. But let me just tell you some of the top rules and tips of the dating trends of the 1950s. The first one would be that women never, ever, 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 ever make the first move. Never. If a girl were to ask a guy out on a date in the 1950s, she would immediately be considered a floozy. Guys don't date floozies. Oh, girls, you are considered damaged goods. Even though you may have independence and want to go out after what you want, you are a floozy and damaged goods. So men always make the first move. If a girl is interested in a guy at that point, during that time, she must tell all of his friends and kind of gossip around the school that she likes him. And she would only be able to go out with him if he asked her out. Now, men, you must follow the two-day rule. You can never ask a girl out impromptu the day of. Oh my goodness, no. But what if, what if a great event came up and, 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 that, and, and it was like a once-in-a-lifetime, you know, maybe the Beatles were coming to town at that point. And that was the only time that you could ask her to go. And you only learned of that pop-up concert that day. No, she has to say no. It has to be a two-day rule. So, gentlemen, if you wanted a woman for a Friday night date, you must ask her out on Wednesday. It's a two-day rule. Strict. In blood. Do not break that rule. And ladies, if the man asks you out, you must respond quickly. And you have a wonderful excuse, a polite excuse, if you do not wish to. And washing your hair would have been considered okay. But you cannot turn a man down in like, oh, I can't stand you, you're disgusting. That would be absolutely against all rules and it has to be light, airy, with a smile of a no thank you. Very polite, very polite. And if and only if that two day rule applies. If a guy does the one day rule or impromptu day, 
the girl says no, and that is just the way it is. Um, women, don't you dare speak first. If you go to a table and you have a date, and number one, within this, you do not order your own food. You tell the guy what you want. What if it's a Starbucks at that point and you have a 25 list macchiato order? Well, that guy better memorize that because you, you should not be able to say that to that to that Starbucks person. Obviously, Starbucks was not around, but let's just say at the fountain shop. Maybe you want a really decadent fountain drink with a lot of different ingredients. He must memorize that and give it to the server. You do not talk to the server. You don't order for yourself. Again, the man always speaks first at the table without, besides the fact that he would order for you, he only talks first. And then, once you guys have a conversation, only he will be talking. You will be light, airy, a polite smile on your face, asking him several, several questions. What about his life, his sports, goals, dreams for the future, football teammates, locker room speak, tell me everything about yourself, and I will not say anything about myself, and if I'm asked, which I probably won't be, I will smile politely and giggle. That was the date right there, according to the 1950s dating rules. No excuses. You would never, ever, ever break a date without providing a valid reason. Not really interested in meeting up with someone? You're going to have to come up with something better at that point than needing to wash your hair. And ladies, I have tons of lies to get out of situations with men, so please, contact me at Anne McDaniels or an Anne McDaniels actress, and I will provide those absolutely bona fide lies to you because sometimes we, need, we just need to get out of situations and should not make any, any excuses for it. Oh, and be on time. Women should never be late for a date. When a date arrives, you should be ready to go. That is an etiquette rule decades ago, and you know, it still stands today. You should be on time, unless it's a fashionably late, and that is perfectly acceptable, and that's what I do. Meeting the parents. Getting introduced to a girlfriend's parents can be a pretty big step in a relationship in the 1950s, though it is customary for girls to introduce all dates to their parents first. These parents can absolutely turn down the guy, and they can say, thank you very much anyway, you are not allowed to date my daughter, if the, he gave off any bad vibes. Which, you know, actually is a really good thing today. And also, women would never, ever, ever go to a car, like a car honk. Like, sometimes today, with a matter of timing, that we have no time and traffic, someone will honk the horn and you'll run out. Oh no, the man should definitely come to the door. And you know what, that's just chivalry anyway. Ladies, thou shalt never do makeup touch-ups in public. Before you leave for a date, that is when it's acceptable to do a makeup touch-up or in the powder room, ladies' room. Primping in public was a big no-no, and so are public displays of affection. That would be considered a floozy move on the women's part if she were to happen to slap her date in the buttocks or do anything of that kind. I wonder if holding hands was okay. Uh, probably. I'm not sure. If you were going steady, that would be called getting pinned. I think getting pinned today has a much different meaning. <laughs> but that would be, if you were pinned, that would be you would wear your um, mate's school pin on your sweater. Above your protruding bust line that you spent so much work on with Jacqueline's exercise workouts, which, leaded, which led to your charm. And again, women flirt from a distance. You do not flirt in public. It has to be from a distance, playing hard to get. 
Who pays? Oh, well, of course the man orders for you. Of course he pays. If you were to want to do Dutch or maybe make a nice gesture of, let's, I can, I can, I'd be happy to order the dessert to show that I have some quite, some type of independence and um, allowance over my own money. Nope, he always pays, which is, which is actually really great on a first date for sure. As a woman, you are not allowed to get drunk in public. That would be considered undignified as a lady. And really that, that still stands today, in my opinion, and on both sides, males and females. No kissing, no kissing on the first date. Again, the floozy, the floozy mentality. You don't want to be a floozy. You must follow all of these rules, ladies, all of them. And again, like I said, some of them are still sort of true today. And speaking of not getting drunk in public because you look like a floozy, on male and female sides in the 1950s, I want to tell you quickly the top seven drinks of that time. Gin. Gin was all the rage in the 1950s, largely due to the remnants of the prohibition. And as such, drinks like the slow gin fizz and the Tom Collins started gaining in popularity. The top seven drinks were the Sidecar, Tom Collins, Classic Mint Julep, the Singapore Sling, the Pink Squirrel, the Gin and Sin, and the always the sexy martini. Dirty, dry with vermouth, twice stirred with a lemon. My definite favorite is the extra dirty gin martini or vodka martini, but I do love gin. And as a side note, gin and vodka are the lowest calorie of the clear alcohols. The higher are the darks, which would be Jack Daniels, the bourbons, all truly delicious. But if you want to stick to any kind of diet regimen or plan, vodka and gin are the lowest because they're clear and they're just, and it's a little lesser of a hangover due to the fact that there's less sugar. But it also depends on what you're mixing it with. But for me, I like it straight. I would prefer almost drinking isopropyl alcohol. I do like the taste, but I, but I, but I gain control. And finally, of course, the fountain drinks, which everybody loved. So, but again, if you were drinking the sidecar or the Junison, do keep it at a two-drink maximum because you don't want to look like a floozy in public. Before we wrap, I want to give you a couple fun facts from the 1950s. Number one, I am a huge car lover. And these are the hottest cars of the 1950s. The 57 Chrysler Plymouth Fury, the 55 Ford Thunderbird, the 59 Austin Mini MK1, the 55 Citroën DS, that was from France, the 57 Chevy Corvette, and the 58 Aston Martin DB4. Besides that, let's just say you're on a date and you maybe want to have some conversation about some fun facts. Um, but if you're a woman, only, only even give these facts if you are specifically asked. Otherwise, please do not talk at the table until the guy talks. Again, TV dinners were introduced. The Swanson, that same Thanksgiving-style turkey meal complete with cornbread stuffing and peas, which liberated women. A positive step towards American civil rights. Disneyland opened in Anaheim, California in 1955. Rock and roll was born. The highlight of the 1950s pop culture in America was the introduction of rock and roll or rocking and rolling music. The term was first coined by Cleveland DJ Alan Freed, and teens across the country quickly grew fond of it. Such great music. A star debuted in Audrey Hepburn in Roman Holiday. Everest was climbed in the 1950s. I Love Lucy debuted. It first aired in 1951. Miss America was broadcast 
1954 in Atlantic City. NASA was established, and look at how far we've come. It was on July 1958 which created the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, or NASA. The space agency went on to achieve the first human moon landing in history just a little over a decade later in the 60s. Fast food was born, back to McDonald's, with Ray Kroc credits 15 April 1955 as its founding date. The first burgers were sold for a cheap 15 cents each. It's about the same now. <laughs> America met the hula hoop. Of course, we talked about that. The first indoor mall was opened. Today, we have the gigantic mall of the Mall of America in Minnesota, but same state. Southdale Center was the oldest temperature-controlled indoor mall in the U.S., first introduced in the 1950s. Barbie debuted. Oh, I love the Barbie. The, new, the now iconic Barbie doll was first introduced in 1959 by Ruth Handler and the Mattel Company. It was inspired by a German doll called Build Lily. I love I loved Barbie. In 1959, Ben-Hur was released and the records were shattered in 1998 by the movie Titanic. And finally, I want to give you the top 10 songs of the 1950s. And so many of you probably recognize many of them. And this is according to Rolling Stone magazine. Number 10 in the top 10 is Rosemary Clooney's Come Out of My House. And that is George Clooney's great aunt, I believe, or aunt. Number 9, Perez Prado and his orchestra, Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom White. Number 8, Johnny Horton, The Battle of New Orleans. Number 7, Frank Sinatra, Learning the Blues. Number 6, Elvis Presley, Let Me Be Your Teddy Bear. It reminds me of a Teddy Graham's commercial of today, or years ago. Mitch Miller, The Yellow Rose of Texas. Sheb Woolley, The Purple People Eater. Go Vikings. Number three, Goey Grant, The Wayward Wind. Number two was Bill Haley and his comments, Rock Around the Clock. And number one, number one, Elvis Presley, in Don't Be Cruel. So ladies, don't be cruel to your men. Accept the date right on the spot as long as he gives you the two-day rule. I hope you guys enjoyed the 1950s food, fitness, diet, and dating flashback. I certainly have enjoyed doing the research. And thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate listeners and supporters. I really enjoy doing this while I'm still in recovery from my broken arm and leg. And I really wish the process would hurry up. But in the meantime, this has been such a pleasure. And I just thank you so much for supporting the podcast and, um, reading it five stars and subscribing on iTunes. Thank you again. We appreciate you for listening and please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Luminary Tuned In, or at Believe.com. You can reach out to me for any questions or topics you'd like covered on the show at Anne McDaniels or at Anne McDaniels Actress on Instagram. And I will see you next time on So Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.